Hey, Father Dan, how are you? Welcome back to, to the One to One podcast. Great to be with you, Kevin. God bless you. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. Where are you? Uh, Guatemala. I just came here about a week ago, so I'm, I'm in almost two. So I'm in the trench with the girls here in Guatemala, boys town, girls town, back and forth. Good. What's the latest and greatest? Give me something that happened today, yesterday. Give me something good. You want you want joy or healing or both? Uh, I want both. Well, unfortunately, Mexico. I mean, the the pain that I experienced in Mexico is in Guatemala. Statistically, I've heard through the fifth year girls, and I'm working through the fourth year, and same pain, same abuse, same trauma. I don't know. It seems to be these kids are. Doesn't matter anything south of. Um, in Central or South America, kids are getting really hurt and um, suffering greatly. On the other side, um, we had adoration last night. And at the end of adoration, two little girls waited for me. They're fourth year girls. So I don't know, 16. And the girl goes, excuse me, Father, very politely in English. She goes, what's your favorite snake? And I said, snake. And she said, yeah, snake. I said, I don't have a favorite snake. And she, I, like I made the movement like snake. She said, no, snack. Like she was saying snack. She said, Marianne, I said, my favorite snack. Well, I told them what they were saying. These two girls were dying laughing. So I don't have a favorite snake. I have a favorite snack. I told them chocolate. Oh my gosh. It was the funniest thing. We laughed the whole way down to their floor. Um, but it's good. It's beautiful. The Guatemalan kids are so open to healing and the grace. So I'm running in adoration in two different places, and it's great. It's great. Oh, Father, that's that's an adorable story. We we need that after you and I. You've shared so often the the poverty and the pain and what happens, and it's terrible. Um, I, again, I encourage anyone who would like to go down and visit Father Dan just to see what he's going through. Please contact me at World Villages. Yeah. Um, Father, speaking of pain, really quick, uh, 21 years ago, really um, today, a couple of days ago, my uncle Monsignor Tom Wells was murdered in his rectory. So I'm, I'm wearing the shirt here today, the Monsignor Tom yeah. Wells Golf Tournament. I, I know you knew him a little bit. Um, do you have any memories of my uncle Tommy? Oh, he was great. He was a great priest in the archdiocese. He, he was brilliant. He had a, a huge reputation of just helping the people. He had a huge reputation for being a terrible golfer, even though he thought he was decent. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know why you named a golf tournament after the guy. He was lousy. Um, but Wells was also an inspiration to me. You know, he, his line to me when I had lunch with him one time at this cheap restaurant in Virginia where I met him is – Every priest and every lay person has to eat a spoonful of manure every day to be holy. And yeah. I was like, what are you talking about, Wells? And he's like, you got to eat that spoonful even when life is hard. And of course, I was young then. And I said, so that explains your breath, right? He just died <laughs> laughing. But I think that was a that was a take home. I've used that line so many times. You just got to fight through the pain and you've got to be courageous and you got to eat the spoonful. Yeah, fa Father, it's, you know, it's the, the bloodlines are true. I'm a terrible golfer. I eat cheap and my breath stinks too. So we carry these things on. They're family heirlooms. So, fa so Father, I, I've been thinking about Tommy. Obviously, I've gotten a lot of emails and phone calls about what, what he meant to him. And, you know, I was thinking about Tommy. He became a priest for one reason. You know, he came out of the birth canal with a personality. He was always the loudest guy, 
very friendly, outgoing. He loved people, but he became a priest because of the Eucharist. And and I, I, I can't tell you how many articles have been sent to me in the past couple of weeks on the USCCB meeting um, next week. And one of the big topics is Eucharistic coherence. And, and Father, you, you're not involved with any of this, but I'm just going to throw this out at you and tell me what the Eucharist means to you. 60, 60 some bishops have encouraged the president of the USCCB not to even have a discussion, a discussion on what the Eucharist, how the Eucharist should be presented to those that maybe publicly um, present themselves against the mm -hmm. Catholic faith. You know, should they receive the Eucharist? Just a discussion. And 60-some bishops said, no, we're not going to have this discussion. So when I bring up the Eucharist and my uncle Monsignor Wells, I often think if he wasn't murdered 21 years ago, what his thoughts would be. And I know what they'd be. I'm not going to share them right now on this podcast. But I'm going to ask you, Father, when I say the Eucharist, you as a Catholic priest, what comes to mind? Well, I think it's the – obviously it's the life, death – and resurrection of Christ, but it's 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 also the invitation to eternal life. If that's a relationship, then I think that unless the Eucharist is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, so that I come to Him in humility, then it's just a form of bread. You know, everybody's redefining many things these days in our culture, and they already have definitions and they already have identities. But one of the things I'm realizing, uh, at least I knew in the states, is that People are redefining things to suit their comfort, and that's just um, a, a false solution to the truth. So I don't know. In Guatemala and Mexico, for example, like the sisters tell me their biggest need for priests is when the kids, when the kids go home on vacation and then they come back because the kids go home and they want to go to confession when they get back. Now, I mean – a lot of the things is they see something in the in the street. I mean, I've talked to the girls and boys, they see something in the street, like a picture, a photo, or people kissing and making out or doing something, and they feel that's unchaste. So the Eucharistic reverence of the children is so profound that that problem doesn't exist. I have the opposite problem where I'm trying to get so many kids into the confessional to get them to the sacrament. And so that's my concern is they have, I don't know what Eucharistic incoherence is. The children have a Eucharistic coherence because of the reverence they have. And so if they're not disposed, they won't go. It's just like couples that are not married in the church. Go to a mass in this Latin, in the Spanish, the Spanish speaking mass. And not everybody goes to communion. There's a 30, 40% people because they're not married in the church and they they have that reverence so you can manipulate any anything you want kevin the bottom line is whether they're married but they're also not faithful and i think that's what i see with the children they're very faithful but they're faithfully authentically they're not just faithfully to a rule because they know they're not disposed and that's the key Father, you just made my day with that that little charming story. You really did. That's beautiful. Right. It, it brings hope. You know, I, I remember really quick, I remember back in the day in my old parish, all the Wells kids went there. Um, it'd be a Saturday, it'd be four o'clock for the one hour of confession that our parish had it. And there'd be a line of 
16 people of this 3,000 family parish, and the 16 people would be the well, would be the Wellses, yeah. it'd be the Halligans, the Grahams, and and it's anyway. We're not going to go down there. It, it, the story you told about the kids and the reverence and getting into the confessional prior to presenting themselves, even with the smallest little idea that I, I might not be ready, it's a beautiful reminder that that a lot of the kids do get it. Look, Wells, I, I think that the problem with the church, it's it's not just the reception of the Eucharist. It's it's the fact that there's no adoration. I think that the bigger question is how many of these people that they're concerned about are going to adoration? I mean, where where's the authentic Catholic identity of the body, blood, soul, and divinity? And, and even the reverence with which we celebrate the Holy Mass. So it's many questions. But uh, I think that the deeper, deeper, identity with the children is they want to go to com communion to worthily receive him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Father. So let's switch gears. Father, what's happening now is these interview requests are coming in. Raymond Arroyo wants me to talk about Father Al on his show. And tonight right. at five o'clock, I have an hour long uh, radio interview. And Father, here's the worst thing for, for, uh, for a guy who wrote a book. It's when, the, it's when the interview starts and you know within two seconds that the interview the interviewer has not read the book. So you're, you got to talk about an hour about a book the guy hasn't read. So it always starts with, Kevin, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. And no offense, Drew, hopefully you read the book. So tell me about this guy, Father Al. You're like, oh, you know, I, I love it when they read it because they, can, they can sort of lead you on. They keep putting the ball on the tee. So, so I'm asking you, Father, so when I get these interviews and they're like, tell us about Father Alan Schwartz. And I'm like, no, no, it's Aloysius Schwartz. Okay. So, so what do I tell, what do I tell Americans when I get that broad general question? What, what should I hit them with? What's, what's the, what's the sucker punch to tell them about Father Al? It's a one liner. The United States of America is in position to have a canonized Catholic saint that's a priest and a time when the biggest wound in my life and the church is existing, when there is so much confusion in the priesthood, what is a priest and the willingness of the priest to defend and, and teach the truth. So Father Al is a defender of the truth, a lover of the poor, and a proclaimer of, of, of um, healing by the way he took care of, of the poor. So yeah, I mean, the answer is Father Al. The guy was authentic. The problem is, yes, he was lived in a parish and served the parish, but unless we want to live like this guy and, and, and simplify and get rid of stuff, we're just going to continue the process of just living in, some, uh, in comfort. Thanks, Father. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to throw some excerpts of the book out at you and just give me your response to Great. And, and they're all going to be pre-Father Al becoming a priest, so okay. early life. But the first thing I'm going to throw at you is from Priest and Beggar. It's mm -hmm. going to be the prologue. When when I was down there, I've seen you down there, Father. I've seen what goes on. I've hung out with the sisters. So I just want to read this excerpt, and you respond. While in Mexico, I befriended cheery-eyed Brazilian board sister Marine. One night while we were speaking— I asked in a moment of rudeness what she had yet to die to. A curtain of awkward silence dropped between us. 
barking dogs in the countryside became the only sound. Her hesitant eyes told two different stories. Her self-consciousness at being caught in the teeth of a perceived weakness. And at the same, at the same time, her desire to expose it. Finally, she whispered, I am sensitive with the awkward smile of a kindergartner at the first picture taking, but I know I must give that up too. My thoughts, my hurts, everything, it is all nothing. I must die to everything to be filled with Christ. Yeah, I think that she, if she identified something very profound is, what she, what I, I know she was saying, because I know the terminology, it's this oversensitivity at the slightest rejection, correction, or lack of 100% approval. And I, I think that what she identified is a deeper wound in the world and in really in the culture that we see is everything is sensitive. And so therefore, I reject you. She's seeking an answer. Others are living in their sensitivity, Kevin. There's no question. You know, homilies are going to get more and more, are going to get softer and softer because people are going to say, I don't like it. And they're going to have to make a choice. Okay. The gospel is hard. People can choose to live, leave. But I think the church has to remain authentic in its presentation, but it doesn't mean change change the truth. Excellent, Father. Thank you. Um, okay, this is when he joined the Marianolers, and about halfway through formation, he he says he says this, or I say this, but he gradually came to see that many of the Marianols, like many other American missionaries, lacked a real in, inner struggle with poverty, still more a longing to embrace it. It seemed that the mission missionaries would often camp luxuriously outside of poverty-stricken neighborhoods. Al not only wanted to live with the poor, he wanted to become poor. He felt that until the walls of physical and emotional comfort were annihilated, false gods would always live in missionaries' bellies, and the souls of the poor would never be wholly fed. Hmm. Well, I think that convicts me. I mean, I, I'm i not in the United States. I'm in Mexico. And, you know, I'm in the contained inner wall, the belly, as you call it, of, of, of the sister's property. Um, and at the same time, there's a poverty that I think that I'm experiencing on many levels. Um, but I agree. I think that until there's an authentic sacrificial nature to the physical aspect, I think that it remains, um, we, we, we remain aloof to the pain. You know, a lot of times I would fly in and serve the poor and maybe I'd fast or maybe I'd give up and blah, blah, blah. But then I'd get to the airport and I'd, you know, I'd hammer down a couple of hamburgers. And I just saw that as inconsistent. I'm still inconsistent, not that you need a confession. But I, I just feel that, that that the gradual progression into poverty, it's you know it's spiritual, it's emotional, as sister identified, and it's physical. Those are the three levels, 
And but oversensitivity, Kevin, is just feeding on all three levels. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I think this comfort has not only consumed the church, it's consumed us. It's we're very myopic now. What 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 can we please buy? And and we swear as you as we started the podcast with, I think we've re-engineered a certain way. Well, I serve the poor from nine to five, and then I kind of check out and and we're all guilty. I'm I'm guilty. We're all guilty, but but until you father, as you mentioned so wonderfully, until there's that dimension of of true sacrifice and amputation of that comfort then maybe yeah. the poor never re really never will see father is all in with me. So that's it. Yeah. Thanks father. Um, now this is one that, that I know you appreciate. I, I certainly do. And I've come to love father out for this. So when he went to Beno, Belgium, that's the apparition site uh, outside of uh, the university of Louvain where he um, studied in, in Belgium Um he had met Mary in Bano at this, and he fell in love with, um, with her message there. So I write this. It could be argued that the language of heaven that Mary brought to Bano was not, in practicality, destined only for the peasant Mariette Becco, but also for Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. During the early years of his priesthood, Father Al would spend untold hours in contemplation of her few words, there were just 80 words in total. Turning over the messages from Mary's eight apparitions in his head, he would piece together a system that would structure his own incomprehensible, in, incomprehensibly fruitful work for the poor. In the chapel of Beno on that day in 1957, he gave Mary his life. He vowed to her that everything he did in the days that followed would be as her servant. He would have the ears of the marveling Cana wedding attendants who heeded Mary when she said, do whatever he tells you. Al would do whatever Jesus commanded, but the command would come through Mary. Well, I think that the way that Mary gripped his heart and used him was a clear indication. It was, it was this contradiction of poverty and, and, and plenitude or riches he, he gave everything, so he turned over the heart, but he received that mission. And I think that it's in that poverty that he, that he recognized that he had everything. The vows of the sisters when they renew their vows is, I renounce all to receive all. I think that what I would say to apply to the lay people is, the, the percentage to which you renounce is the percentage to which you receive. So you renounce 20% of comfort, of sensitivity, you receive that back in grace. But if you don't renounce, God cannot penetrate a full heart. And that's what I think the culture is stuck because God always takes the initiative, but then he's looking for the response and people are not making the response anymore. So therefore, it's a, they justify it as saying, God's not with me. I, I just see it differently. I see the reaction of the children and the sisters to the work. And I see, I tell them this, they start praying more, they give more, they're surrendering more, and something profound happens. So, Father, what you're saying, I think, is the more we strip ourselves away, the more we strip things out of our lives, the more graces can come to sanctify us. Yeah, with the grace of God. Absolutely, Kevin. No question. I, 
I, I think, you know, Schwartz would just analyze it. One of, one of the things that struck my heart is when Schwartz was in Korea and they told him, you know, don't, he was going to open another dispensary for medications, right? He, he wasn't sure if he had the money, if he had doctors, whatever. And he did it anyway. I think we've become, and I've talked about this, we become so sensitive to our successors and the people after us that we're afraid to just do the work that's in front of us. We're just, I don't want to leave my spouse behind. I don't want to leave my kids behind. Well, I understand. But at some point, the mission is the mission. And, you know, we, we have to not be afraid to just coddle people in their sensitivity and invite them into the deep water. You know, that, that's where we are in a church and that's where we are in the culture. And some people want to go and they say, I don't want to go. And they renounce the church or they renounce whatever it may be. It, it's the same mantra that's existed for years. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. I'll do what I want. Okay. But that doesn't mean they're delving into poverty. They're full of pride. But you can't yeah, have that conversation. Yeah. I'm with you, Father. I, you know, in, in horse racing, I, I, I like used to like go to the track all the time, but the horses wear blinders like this, so they can't see left, right. They're just looking ahead. It's almost like if you want to take on a mission, okay, Christ, what do you want? Okay, you get the answer through prayer, through adoration, through through meditation, contemplation. You get it. Well, you're not looking left. You're not looking right. So you can just go forward. I, I, Correct. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's okay, what I'm so, doing. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> No, Father, I've seen you. That is what you're doing. I've, I've been down there, and we thank you for that. Uh, all right, Father, I know prior to the podcast, you said you had to go short today because you got to get back to confessions. I know you're overwhelmed by that. Thank thank you again for your work. It's real. I've seen it. Um, let's pray for Father Dan Leary because he's, he's um, not slowing down. Uh, Father, with that said, before the blessing, anything you want to pass on to the folks? No, I just – it's it's – it's really beautiful. I think any anybody that has a that knows a priest that wants a shot in the arm to get in the trench with kids um, that could give four or five days, fly in to wherever I am, and that guy is willing to sit his can in the confessional for five, six, eight, ten hours. I could certainly use the help. He'll be able to celebrate mass, um, but. I mean, the kids are coming for spiritual direction. They're coming for confession. They're coming to talk through not only the pain they experience, but their family. Um, so you're not going to deal with scratches. You're going to deal with major surgeries. And it will be really invigorating if the priest is a man of prayer and is generous. Very good, Father. Yeah, just just call just call me or contact me through world villages or just look me up. And, and if you're interested in to help Father Dan down there, we can help facilitate uh, the trip and everything else. Great. So that said, Father, why don't you lead us out? Okay, folks, may the Lord bless you, protect you, give you peace. And may the Lord let his face shine upon you and be with you always. And may almighty God bless you, folks, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God bless you, folks. Hey, thanks for listening to the One to One Podcast. This podcast is presented to you by the Holy Ruckus Podcast Network. For awesome Catholic content or production needs, please visit theholyruckus.com.